Happy uh, coronavirus in the markets. Market in turmoil, value plays edition. Trying to take a little uh, cue from CNBC when they run their uh, markets in turmoil broadcasts. So, decent number um, of questions this week. Um, I expected. So, let's get right to it. Um, here's a question quite a few subscribers may have. I own both AIG and BAC, AIG and Bank of America. In my case, they net out to a cap gain of zero. AIG is my loser. For people with losses, it might make sense to suggest alternatives so they can take a tax benefit. I have zero interest in selling here, but I'd swap AIG for a better alternative back in the 40s and 50s. I did Back in the 40s and 50s, I didn't want to pay the tax. Hey, it's a new beginning. Okay, so, so I, I, a couple of questions are on the same line of thinking as this, and I guess it kind of depends on... The action that I would take in this scenario kind of depends on what you think the market's reaction is going to be um, over time. Meaning, do you think we have a sharp drop, a long process where stocks go nowhere, then they gradually climb up? Do you think we have a V where they drop down, you know, in three weeks or two weeks? The virus is on a decline in the U.S. because that would be about in line with every other nation that had it before us, right? About about two or three weeks now, they start seeing declines and things start opening back up and all this pent-up demand from businesses and consumers come flooding the market and we see sort of a V, right, in stocks. Is it a U in stocks where they go down, kind of waffle down a little bit, flat bottom and come up the other side? I mean, I have, I don't have any idea what's going to happen. My thought process, I think we see a V. I think we saw the sharp down on the panic. I think stocks have way, way overshot um, the downside. You know, you're looking at companies that maybe um so let's 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 play let's play the game and say you know some company this quarter lost all the earnings they're going to have zero earnings versus a dollar left so you'll say a company earns a dollar a quarter four dollars a year per share in earnings say q1's completely wiped out because of coronavirus it's a zero they lost 25 percent of their earnings some of these stocks just down 40 50 60 percent and i think when people come to realize that the market's not going to be closed for six months, that we're not going to go into a depression, that this is a short cycle virus, as it has been in other nations. There's several China's on the mend, South Korea's on the mend, you know, Germany's on the mend. So there's several nations who were hit before us who are already on the upswing. That that is going to happen. I think the market then reacts the other way. When people can then sort of quantify the earnings loss and they realize that, well, okay, you know, we lost a quarter of earnings and just took a stock down 60%, that's way overblown. Boom, up the other side comes the stock as people rush back in. And we've seen it happen a lot. But it depends on what you think the timing of this is going to be.
So in this scenario, I, I own both of them. I have not sold AIG because AIG and a lot of the financials have gotten crushed because of interest rates. Um, I think when the fear goes out of the market, the 10-year starts going back up on the yield. And then all of a sudden, the bank stocks and insurance company financial look a lot more attractive. And their stocks, stocks shoot up on the other side. I, I think that's I think that's what happens. Um if you do want to sell and take the loss, then you know I, I guess I guess my response would be take a look at the portfolio of what you own. You know what has the most steady business that's been wiped out the most. I mean, in my mind, it's the pipeline companies. Right? These are take or pay contracts. They're getting paid to put gas through these pipes, no matter what happens. Gas demand is not going to be absurdly hit because of this. It's going to certainly take a hit, but it's not going to be a long-term, you know, fundamental downward shift. And when businesses do come online, there's going to be a lot of businesses, right? Especially manufacturing businesses. They're shut down for two weeks. They're going to come back online. They're going to be doing two, three shifts a day. They're not going to stick to one shift a day. They need, they need to make up for lost time. So the demand for natural gas on the industrial side is going to pick up in a major way. Now, if everyone's sheltered at home, electricity use in residential is going to go way up, which means gas demand for residential electricity production is going to rise. So it's not going to be impacted all that much. And again, this is a short-term issue. This isn't a six- or eight-month type thing. Demand will start returning in a few weeks. You know, Williams is down 50% in a month, and Williams just enacted a shareholder rice plan today, which I completely agree with. You know, 50% in a month, did, does anyone really believe that 50% of the natural gas shipped in the U.S. suddenly evaporated overnight? Kinder Morgan, same thing. 50% in a month, both yielding over 10%. Do we really believe, between those two companies, they touch about 70% of the natural gas in the U.S. Do we really think that natural gas demand just dropped by roughly 50% this year in the last two weeks? I don't believe that in a second. And again, these are take-or-pay contracts. The utilities still need to produce electricity for residential for residential in the U.S., and they still need natural gas to do that. So natural gas demand has not been crushed. Certainly, it will take a bit of a dip, but it has not been crushed. And the stocks are trading as if they've been crushed. couple questions about Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes, unfortunately, you know, it seemed for a while that it had broken this correlation. But for some bizarre reason, it trades with oil prices. It just does. And when oil collapses like this, Howard Hughes collapses. It's, you know, it's as if they are an oil producer, not a real estate company with Assets in Las Vegas, Hawaii, New York City, Maryland. And oh yeah, they have assets in Houston. It's it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. But, I mean, you know, for those of you who had wished they'd gotten in Howard Hughes earlier over the years, here's your chance. Here's your chance. Uh, you know, it's, again, there is no... There is no... There is no rationale to the market right now. So people are looking for 
at the current prices of a lot of stocks and saying, geez, I wonder why this is trading here. Like, I wonder what's wrong with it, this trading. What are people thinking? People aren't thinking. People are just blind selling. They're selling everything they can get their hands on to sell because they're absolute panic. The end of the world is here. And to me, that makes no logical sense because if the end, end, end of the world is truly here, it, 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 your money is not worth anything. Right? I mean, think about it. You know, so selling all your stocks and having cash in a brokerage account, if the end is if the world end of the world is near, that brokerage account's worth nothing, whether it's in cash or stocks anyway. So I'll you know, I'll I'll do what people like Buffett are doing, like Icon are doing. You look at all the big investors, they're they're buying. This is this this is literally one of the greatest opportunities to buy certain stocks that you've had since 2008, 2009. And honestly, this is nothing like 2008, 2009. Buffett had a great interview uh, last week or whatever. It was on Yahoo. And he said, this is nothing compared to 08, 09. This is, this is absolutely nothing. This is just pure unadulterated panic by people in the market. It's just selling whatever they can sell. So don't look at the price of a stock and think, gee, someone must know something more than I do. Every single thing across the board is getting just taken to the woodshed. And when that happens, there's no fundamental analysis going on. It's just fear, algorithms, and day traders, and high-speed traders running the market because everyone's scared. That's all it is. It's nothing more than that. Um, what are your thoughts on CHK hiring a restructuring advisor for their debt? I mean, given the current prices in oil, it makes sense to do that. If you could package up a bunch of debt, move out expirations and things like that. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't they? Um, your thoughts on Fannie Mae with the capital being pushed back to end of May? Do you think the amendment to the SPSA still gets done before election? I think it absolutely does. I think if anything, and there was another one question, it seems to me that SCOTUS, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States, ruling on a single director is insignificant to Fannie Mae shareholders unless they reverse the net worth sweep. If Democrats win November, they can just put in their own Treasury Secretary and halt any FHFA and Treasury negotiations. Your thoughts? Thanks for the podcast. Wouldn't have thought about buying KMI until you mentioned the dividend is now 9%. I think it's actually 11 or 12 now. But So Fannie Mae. So, Fannie Mae. so here's the thing. So the current environment, if, if anything positive is coming out of what's happening now, is that the current environment actually increases the odds that Calabria does something before the election. History tells us that if an economy is in recession during an election year, the incumbent party or the incumbent president typically loses that election. So if we are in a, in a recession, come July, October, I'm, come, I'm sorry, September, October, November, the chances that Trump wins are very slim, which means Calabria is probably out, and definitely Mnuchin is. So if, what does that mean? That means Calabria and Mnuchin now have more urgency than ever to get this done. So I think the members of the think so the capital got pushed back simply because government can't meet, right? You can't hold meetings on something. It's difficult getting people in the room to sign shit. 
Um, so they can't meet, so it's pushed back. The capital is done. It's gonna. He's always said it's going to be not much different than it was before. So people know what to expect. The amendment to the PSPA is going to happen. They're going to have to have irreversible action done before the election in case they lose. And the irreversible action is the amendment to the preferred stock agreement and exit from conservatorship under a consent decree. And a settlement with shareholders in conjunction with that. Because any administrative action can be reversed by the subsequent administration. It's very, very hard to reverse a court order decision. Why? You have to go back to the courts to undo it. And if in conjunction with amending the PSPA, the junior preferred shareholders and the shareholders settled their cases and all that was wrapped up in one neatly little court approved package, that would be almost impossible to undo. When that's done, then you let them exit under under consent decree to raise capital. They could be raising capital before the end of the year, before, if Trump loses, a new administration comes in in January. And that would be irreversible action. So I think that's what happens. I think they have more urgency now than ever to get it done. Um, seems It seems there is tremendous value at these price points for Fannie Mae and Innovative Industrial Properties, Williams, and KMI. I have a question as it relates to ELY, that is Callaway Golf. Based on past comments regarding the private ownership, 15 between us in Top Golf, and it likely being worth $5 per share in itself and a potential spinoff, is there any reason you would not be a buyer in the five to eight dollar range? It seems like at these price levels, you're pretty much picking up top cost ownership for essentially nothing. What am I missing? You are missing absolutely nothing. That is the absolute perfect way to look at it. Now, of course, top golf's earnings are going to be impaired, right? Because I'm sure every top golf location is closed, right? It's a bar and a restaurant, so they're all closed right now. Probably going to be closed for a month, six weeks, maybe you know, whatever, depending where they are, right? So I'm sure the ones down in Texas and hot areas aren't going to be closed for as long as ones up north, right? Because we know heat kills this virus. So as the south heats up, um, <clears throat> it'll open up a lot quicker than the north as it takes longer to heat up up here. But absolutely, your logic uh, makes 100% sense. Uh, basically, if you can get Cali 5 to $8 a share, you're basing up... What I would say, the way I would look at it, though, would be that you're basically... Buying Top Golf and getting Callaway Golf for free in that case, right? So just reverse it. And if you could buy Callaway Golf for five bucks a share, you basically what you're buying is they're staking Callaway Golf, and you're getting the entire organization of Callaway Golf for free. That's a steal, and that's what I'm trying to impress upon you that the current valuations you're seeing in the market are simply fear induced. They bear no relation to reality whatsoever, and honestly, but this is. This is, this is you know, Buffett's most favorite quote. Be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. That, that, is, that is a singular logical quote that Buffett has that if you only ever do one thing in your life, follow that quote. And right now you are seeing fear. You should be buying fear. I'm not saying jump in with two feet all at once, but I mean, this is, all week we were buying this week. 
picked up KMI here and there, picked up Williams here and there, picked up innovation, innovative industrial properties here or there. 10% yields or more in everything we're buying this week. Dividends covered nearly two times by all of them. I mean, if you can make if you can make 10, 10% dividend and then almost double your money when prices return to normal levels in, in six months, I mean, that's a that's that's an unbelievable investment. <clears throat> and that dividend's growing every year. So you're gonna make, you know, you could double your money in six months buying the stock. And then you can collect a 10% growing dividend on that invested capital every year for however long you hold it. Oh, my God. Another question. I want to know if government bails out certain companies, like airline companies, if common shares get wiped, if the common shares get wiped out. Could it potentially be a good buy for some of the major companies like American Airlines, Delta, Southwest, United Airlines? The prices are getting so low, it seems like this could be a great potential investment. Even the cruise ship stocks are cheap. Or should people stay away in case of government bailout? I also wanted to ask you if you were interested in looking at other energy companies like Exxon, Halliburton, Occidental, etc. Any advice, I appreciate it. Thank you. So the bailout question is always a touchy one because, you know, we've had bailouts in the past in the financial crisis and... Those bailouts are very punitive in nature uh, because the reason these companies need to be bailed out is because of their own bad actions, right? Um, you know, AIG was insuring every mortgage no matter what it was under the face of the earth. The banks are writing mortgages with their eyes closed and not even bothering to check that people could pay them back. Homeowners were, you know, going and buying liar loans, you know, under the illusion that you know, just because someone will give me money for lying about how much you make and my ability to pay it back, I should then take that loan and buy that house. I mean, every, everyone everyone during the financial crisis got in trouble in some way had a hand in whatever lousy situation they ended up in. <clears throat> Whether it be a conscious shitty decision or an ignorant shitty decision, you know, no matter who you were, you know, you know, a lot of homeowners lost their homes, but, you know, I mean, if you took out an all-day loan with a balloon payment and lied about your income to get the loan so you could afford the McMansion that you could not buy back and could not afford to pay for <coughs> unless you were able to sell the house and refi it out in, in three months or a year, shame on you, right? I mean, I'm sorry, but that's just a bad decision. There were people that lost their job and lost their homes. That's a completely different story. But by and large... The companies that needed to be bailed out by <clears throat> the Fed and the government were given very punitive terms. You know, AIG, you know, Lehman was let go. Washington Mutual was sold for pennies. Um, Bear Stearns for pennies. So, they, you know, they got it. This is, and this is a little different. Um, you know, you have companies that are, need to be, that are going, to, going to need to be bailed out in part because the government is demanding they shut down and cease operations, right? So it's not like, you know, Ford Motor Company or GM didn't some make fantastically bad decision on a car that didn't sell and ended up in trouble, right? The government is saying you cannot have more than 10 people in one spot. Well, I'm sorry, but you can't run a car factory with 10 people. So that has to shut down. You know, the airlines, you can't have more than 10 people in a space. Well, 
you don't make any money flying a 737 across country with 10 passengers in it. Again, not their fault. Um, it's no one's fault the virus did what it did. You can blame response times or whatever or say they're taking two extreme actions or whatever. But again, that's not business's fault. And then how do you justify penalizing the airline company for taking a bailout when the government's going to ship every man, woman, and child alive a $1,000 check? And oh, by the way, they're setting up small business loans that will never have to be paid back. So the government's going to bail out several different classes of people. Right? They're going to bail out individuals, small business, and big businesses. How do you just take one of those groups and say, we're going to be punitive to your bailout, but we're going to give these people the bailouts for free. And oh, by the way, none of you are responsible for this virus. So I think that gets kind of into a touchy area. But again, I don't know how. I guess my my hesitation on buying these stocks right now, you know, the, the airline companies and things like that, is because we don't know what form these ballots are going to take place, right? Is it a cash infusion they pay back? Is Does it come with restrictions on buying back stock for two years? Or we don't know. And until we know, it's you're really just gambling on the stock price appreciation. Which if the stock is at three or four bucks a share, and it was at 25 a month ago, you weigh your risk reward on that and say, you know what, if... They get a cash infusion and they're just prohibited from buying back stock until they pay off that cash infusion. I, you know, I don't, I don't mind buying the stock at three or four bucks a share and then figuring about a year and a half to years back to 25. So, you know, that's potentially one way to look at it. Uh, but I haven't looked at the airline stocks mainly because of, again, Buffett's favorite quote. He said he has the easiest way known to man to become a millionaire. And someone asked him what it was, and Warren said, well, you start with $10 million and buy airline stocks, <laughs> and then soon you're worth only a million. So, um, I don't know. To me, it's a gamble, you know, and not knowing, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of talk about people wanting blood on any other bailouts after the financial crisis. My view is this is a completely different situation. Um, you know, you, you can't blame Southwest for needing a bailout. Um, they are an essential business. Let's be honest. The airlines don't fly. Commerce in the U.S. You know, really takes a hit, and uh, you know, no one's no one expected this virus. You know, six months ago, so it's not like they could have done anything different and planned for it, kind of thing. So, um, as far as other energy companies go, um, Not really, and the main reason is I have, and as I said this before in the podcast, I have plenty of what I need in the energy space right now. I think I'm a little over what I should be at in the energy space, but I just see such incredible value there that I'm confident that over time that value is going to be realized. You know, we, we're not moving away from energy, right? So um, I think that over time, the value there will be realized, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to add more to it. Um, at this time because I just don't want to be so overweighted in energy stocks. I mean, but that being said, I, I, honest, I obviously like the space, right? Or I wouldn't be in it at all. Um, hold on, there's more questions. I am stunned by the declines of KMI, WMB, and ET. 
Um, I know this is not one you own. I don't own enterprise products. I was under the assumption that all three companies make the money through fees that are insulated from the oil and oil, from oil and natural gas prices. Seems I was ignoring that companies committing to pay fees may themselves go bankrupt because of the declines in commodity prices. But then I remember a great majority of the fees are not paid by energy suppliers, but the large utilities who need the oil and gas to generate electricity and so forth. That certainly can't be correct given the decline in shares. As someone who really knows the energy, what's the truth? Uh, you're actually accurate. A large percentage of these fees are paid by the elect- the electrical companies. So so like, so you have these the main trunks, right? The main trunks, these 43-inch natural gas pipelines pumping 2 billion feet a cubic day of natural gas through them. Then if you look at the map, you see all these trunks coming off them. Most of those trunks are going right to a utility. That utility is contracting with Williams or KMI for X amount of natural gas a year to run their operations. They are paying a fee for that. The supplier is paying a fee, and they are paying a fee. The majority of that fee is being paid by the utilities. Now, there are MLPs out there that do have more commodity price exposure. But Williams and Kinder Morgan have gotten through that by structuring their contracts very differently. And the reason they're able to do that is because they are the dominant natural gas players in the United States. They're not some small regional player that has to angle for contracts and basically pick up the scraps of the smaller players that Kinder Morgan or Williams don't service and have to kind of negotiate terms. All right, Kinder Morgan and Williams have the largest, most reliable natural gas transition transmission networks in the U.S. So they are able in many ways to dictate terms. They, they have more demand for their pipelines than they can service, which is why they have billions and billions and billions of dollars of backlog of projects for expansions. More people want to ship gas to their pipelines than they have the ability to do it. So they can look at these guys and say, look, you're going to sign a 15-year contract for X amount a day, and we're getting paid whether you ship or not. Or the utility says, we're going to need, you know, 2 billion feet, billion feet of cubic, we're going to, they're not going to need that much. Say, we need 125 million cubic feet a day of natural gas for our utility. Kinderborg says, okay, we'll build a trunk out to you, a direct line off one of our pipelines, but you're going to pay us whether you take it or not. And they get that money. Now, of course, the risk is, you know, some supplier on one side or some utility on the other side goes under. I don't think we're at that situation right now. I mean, most of Kinder Morgan's, you know, uh, shippers, it, it's ExxonMobil. It's Occidental. You know, we're not talking about, you know, uh, um, you know Johnny the, the oil fracker and wildcatter in Texas who's got full wells going, who might go under because the price has collapsed and he didn't hedge it right. We're talking major companies that are the major customers of both these guys. And I believe, and I could be wrong, this is off the top of my head, during, even during the last downturn, the financial crisis, I believe Kinder Morgan only had one supplier go under. And I think, I think the effect was like 5% of profits. And this is nowhere near what we saw then. Believe me, the market's reaction is always oh it is, and I believe the market's reaction is so severe because 2008, 2009 is still so fresh in many people's heads. But this, what we're seeing is nowhere near what we saw then.
We were very close in 0809 to the U.S. economy shutting down, right? Just collapsing. We're not collapsing right now. We're just, we're just not. And another question. What do you make of HAC now selling at $40 for price not seen since November 2010? Is the market now assuming the seaport is a write-off and the Houston properties too due to decline in oil prices? I never liked the seaport project. That was the tell, I think. But I don't believe the seaport was given any value when the shares were 125 last month. Also, what will HSA do with the price with the share price this low? <clears throat> Nose to the grindstone or something else? <clears throat> well, they do have a $500 million buyback in place. I would hope that they're going to start using some of that cash. They just got I think $15 million for the sale of a property. Non-core asset that they sold in Houston. Um, I would hope that they would take advantage and, and take some shares off the market. My guess is that they're probably going to wait until they still have a little more clarity and know what's going on with the virus first. Um, but you know, hey, if they're they don't get it at forty, they get it at sixty and way back up. I'm still very happy that they're buying at sixty instead of one twenty a month ago. Um, and again, I don't, I don't think the market is assuming anything. I think the market is just in, let's sell everything I have, sit here and wait and see what happens, then I'll buy back in. We've seen it time and time again, and we all know what happens, is most of the people selling right now are going to wait and end up buying back shares of the stuff they just sold 10, 20, 30% higher. There has been countless, countless studies on that, that this is what happens at these levels. When you get to these panic levels, and that's what they call it, uh, what the hell do they call it? Um... Um, I don't know. I can't remember. The, I can't remember the term that they use. Um, it's like contrition or something like that. Um, co- co- capitulation. That that's where we are. People just throw it in the towel, and we know for a fact that the market will start grinding higher because there's been some you know thousand point rallies that have gone back down again. People won't wait to buy in. They'll wait until they're a hundred percent sure everything's okay, and that's generally about twenty percent higher than what they sell at. And people end up losing money long run. The people who are going to make money here, the people who have held on to what they have, will ride it back up and are actively putting money to work at these low levels. Don't think for one second that everyone else out there is smarter than you. The market knows something you don't know or there's something hidden in the decline of the stock price you're looking at. When you're seeing 4% moves in the Dow day after day after day, there is absolutely zero fundamental analysis of anything happening. It defies all logic and all rationality to sit there and look at a market going up 4% and down 4% a day and think to yourself, hmm, I wonder what they know about my stock XYZ. They don't know anything. It's all computer program trading. It's people just dumping what they have as fast as they can dump it or buying everything. It's just complete and total panic and irrational thought. Keep that in the back of your mind and look at the stuff that you own and say, you know, lay out your scenarios. If the economy comes back to normal strength in June or July, you have one lost quarter, right? Because Q1 is not a total write-off for a lot of companies. We're at the end of Q1. Q1 was tracking very strong. Housing starts were up. Employment was up. So two-thirds of Q1 was really good. Actually, maybe even three-quarters of Q1 was strong. 
So Q1 is not a washout. Let's call 2Q a washout. We lose a quarter of earnings for the year. In what world does that equate to 60 70% losses in the share price? It doesn't. So those share prices are going to recover. So for those of you buying here, congratulations. I don't know if the market's going to go down to the 1,000 points or what. But if you're, you know, they call it nibbling. If you're nibbling here, nibbling there on stocks that you like, every time you have a nice big down day, go buy a little more. That's what I've been doing, slowly but surely. You will be extremely happy six to eight months or a year from now and you look back at it. And this this is what you're gonna this is what I love. This is what you're gonna hear. You know, right it's funny when you look at people's track records from 08, 09, people who are buying, you know, people are like, oh well everything was a value back then, right? Everything was cheaper. You didn't have to be smart to buy stocks back then because everything was just so cheap, everything went up. That's what you hear now by people. Well the reality is if you think about that. Think about a statement like that. That the everything was so cheap back then that anyone who was buying stocks made money. That doesn't make you a good investor. Uh, actually, that is exactly what makes you a good investor. Because the only reason stocks were so cheap back then because everybody was panicking and selling. Nobody was buying. So the good investors were the ones who were buying stocks when everyone else was panicking. That is the definition of being a good investor. So no, not everyone made money in 2008, 2009. Those who were willing to look at things rationally, not emotionally, and make calculated buying decisions on stocks, those people made money. Those people are good investors. The shitty investors are the ones that were selling and then sat on the sidelines and watched as the stock market crept up, crept up, crept up. You could tell by the volume. People weren't rushing back in. The market just kind of rose gradually, which means people were kind of tipping, dipping their toes back in. Up 10%, buy a little more. 20%, buy a little more. Up 30%, 40%, buy a little more. Up 50%, buy a little more. Meanwhile, they're all selling when it's down 50%. So yeah, the definition that makes you a good investor is when time when there's times like this and you're able to look at, the, look at the market, look at things rationally, make educated buying decisions, and then be patient and sit back, sit back and wait for ration, rationality to come back into the market. And when it does... These things will all be revalued higher. And then you'll be happy. So that's that's the way I look at it. I've always looked at it. I never thought we would get another buying opportunity like 08, 09. Not this soon. You know, I kind of thought we'd get one eventually. Oh, it seems like, the, you know, it was like 87, then 2000. 2008 was close. You had two bubbles real close together. You know, it's been 12 years, well, 2009, so 11 years. You know, the economy was going good. There weren't any obvious bubbles in the economy. There still there weren't any obvious bubbles in the economy. So it's like no reason to think of a big decline. I never thought a hyper-hysterical reaction to a virus would do it, but hey, it did it. So now you have your opportunity. Don't waste it. Don't wait for the market to come back 20, 30% before you start dipping your toes in the water. You know? And again, this is the way I look at it. If I'm wrong, then you know what? If I'm wrong, and this thing is going to wipe out a quarter of the population of the U.S., <laughs> does it matter? I mean, really. I mean, 
it doesn't. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, maybe I don't look at things the right way, but that's the way I see it. So I'm, I'm happy looking at these levels. I'm happy looking at stocks that I think might lose a quarter of their earnings um, completely and utterly gone down 50 60% in a month. And these are, I look at pipeline companies as essential operations. We don't transmit gas daily up and down the U.S. We'll have the lights don't go on. No air conditioning, no heat. I mean, you don't get more essential than that. So gas is still flowing through those pipelines. Williamson Kinder Morgan will not be shut down. You may shut down, you know, retailers and restaurant chains. You, you cannot shut down a pipeline company. If you do, you shut down the nation in more ways than people would want to imagine. So the energy companies are going to still keep working. They're going to lose earnings, but nowhere near. I mean, Darden Restaurants is officially shut down in the U.S. Right? There are restaurant chains who are, who are officially shut down. You cannot shut down a pipeline company. You cannot shut down a land company that the pipeline companies and energy companies drill on to get the oil to market, get the gas to market. You can't shut down TPL. You cannot shut down Kinder Morgan. You cannot shut down Chesapeake. You cannot shut down Williams. You cannot shut down Bank of America. You cannot shut down AIG. These are all essential businesses and basic functioning, functioning of the U.S. economy. Even look at IAPR. Right, for those of you who don't know, in several states, cannabis has been ruled an essential operation because so many people use cannabis for medicinal purposes. So you can't shut down pot companies. And if you can't shut down the companies that sell them, you can't shut down the companies that supply them. So you can't shut down the greenhouses. In those states where it's been deemed an essential operation. As of right now, I know for a fact, New York State has deemed cannabis essential. I believe Massachusetts is following suit. Uh, California has deemed them essential. Colorado, and I believe Nevada, and I believe Washington have deemed cannabis essential operations because so many people use it for medical purposes. But here's the thing. You have these companies that you cannot shut down that are still going to continue to function. Their share price is being hit the same as a company like a Taco Bell, that, you know what, can be shut down for a month. Completely shut down in the U.S. Or pick any of your fast casual restaurant chains, Fridays, Uno's, any of those. They can all be shut down completely for a month. You cannot do that with any, any of the above companies I just mentioned. But their share prices have been hit as much or more in some cases than the companies that are just not going to do business. You, you can shut down an airline for two weeks. You can shut down a car manufacturing company for two weeks. You cannot shut down a company that transports oil and gas throughout the U.S. You just can't do it. So Williams and Kinder Morgan may see hit earnings, but they're not going to be shut down. They're not going to see near the hit that several sectors of this economy are. So for that reason alone, I think they're worth a buy you know, nine or ten bucks a share where they hit this week. It's a screaming buy to me. Screaming. 
and you know, give yourself discipline. Set your buy order at, at 10 bucks a share. And every time it plops down to 10 bucks, you buy some more. Don't sit there and stare at it. Look at the share price. Look where it's been. Look where things happen. Look at the market. Say, okay, I'm going to buy at this price. Boom. Put your buy order in. Hit good until canceled. Let the market pick your price, pick the price for you. You pick the price, let the market pick it up for you. Don't chase it all around. Don't drive yourself trying to day trade or crap like that. Say, I want to buy this stock at this price. Put it in your buy order. Put in a go to cancel. If it hits it, great. If it never hits it, oh well, whatever. Not the end of the world. But, you know, stay rational. Stay calm. Don't. Yeah, I know it's hard. I know a lot of you live in some of the bigger cities where it, it seems to me, and um, I've, you know, I've confirmed this with several people who live in the major cities versus, you know, I've been out in the burbs and I've been out in, you know, this week alone, I've kind of been all over the state of Massachusetts and I've been, you know, as I've been out in Western Mass, I've been out in the farthest tip east in Cape Cod today I was and the reaction and the outlook of people in a major city compared to those areas, it is night and day. It is night and day. I know people who are in Manhattan, the cities who are literally, if anyone heard Bill Ackman this week on CNBC, they are gripped with fear that this is the apocalypse. And then you go to more rural areas and people are just like, they're, they're, they're not, they're not, they're continuing their normal days. And I think when you have a, a quite, you have a, uh, and there's a great book called uh, Extraordinary Delusions and Madness of Crowds. It was written in like the 50s. I recommend everybody please read that book. It goes into mass hysterias over time. And most mass hysterias have to do with an illness. And, and the closer, and right now you have social media and you have 24-7 news on 10 stations. And all they have to do is, you know, if everyone reported the same story, hey, China's getting better, South Korean better, people would turn off the news and they start watching movies. So what does the news have to do? The news has to make this as dire as humanly possible to keep your eyeballs on their station. They have to go interview some poor slob in a hospital bed or someone who recovered. Tell me how terrible the ordeal was you went through. Yeah, I had the flu. It was awful. Well, no shit. But you survived. You're a survivor. Right? We got to show we got to show pictures of dead bodies and things like that. We got to make it as dramatic as possible. Otherwise, people turn off the news. They don't get the advertising dollars. Please, people, news is entertainment. It stopped being news a long time ago. You have to think critically and think differently. But my whole point to that was, you know, look outside your surroundings. If you if you're surrounded by fear, and you're in an enclosed tight area, look outside of that. Get outside of it and talk to people outside of this, and it's a very different world. You know, outside of New York City, outside of L.A., San Francisco, Seattle, Miami, the major cities. Get outside of those. It's it's a very very different existence. So at the end of the day, we got to have heat, we got to have AC, we got to have electricity, we need Kinder Morgan, we need Williams. We got to have banking, we need Bank of America. We still need insurance companies to function, we need AIG. People are going to continue to be on their phones and their TVs and renting movies, we need Apple. Right? These, these, are, these are companies that 
are intertwined in people's daily lives that are still going to function and need to function and are not going to be shut down. <coughs> so I have rambled on for 45 minutes now, so I think that's enough. Um, I hope everybody has a fantastic week. Um, it's going to be an interesting one. I'm going to, I'm doing my own, um, to follow my own wisdom or babblings, however you want to phrase it. And I'm setting my buy orders this week. My main buys are going to be Kinder Morgan, Williams, and Innovative Industrial Properties. Set my buy prices below where they are now. If we have another market dip, I will happily, 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 happily pick up more. IIPR is going to pay a dollar dividend in about a month. Uh, I think um, I think the X date is the 31st. Check it out. A dollar dividend right now. Shares were, you know, in the 40s this week. Right? Do that math. Two and a half percent. And one dividend check. Basically a 10% yield on IAPR this year, this week. A yield that's growing, oh, by the way, 100% a year. Think about, think, think about that for one second. They're growing their dividend 100% a year. You could have bought it at 10%, which means next year you'll probably have 20% annual dividend on your invested capital. Let's say, oh, God forbid, they only grow 50% next year. That's 15% on your invested capital you're going to make next year. Well, the stock price does nothing. And given their growth trajectory, that dividend is going to keep growing. You're going to be at 20 25% in a couple of years on your invested capital on just a dividend. If the stock price does nothing. So, and you can do the same math with Kinder Morgan and Williams. Although, you know, they're growing 10%, 15% dividend growth. But it's the same theory. If in four or five years you're making 20, 25% a year on just your dividend, making 20, 25% on your invested capital and just your dividends alone, oh my God, you'll be very wealthy very quick. So, all right, that's it. I'm done. Have a great weekend, everyone. And I will be back. Um, oops, hold on. I will be back next Friday or Saturday. I don't know. We'll see.